Well, we're in a series, uh, week two of a series called Scorecard, and we're looking at uh, the fact that all of us are trying to figure out whether or not we are a success. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at a, a story that in the Bible that's very familiar. Even if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, you have likely heard this story. It's probably the most famous story that Jesus told, uh, but because it's so familiar, it's actually unfamiliar to us because when we're familiar with something, we kind of sometimes lose the reality that, uh, that it actually has something to offer us. People will often come to Northwest Indiana, they'll come to Lake Michigan, that are, they're not from here, and, and they, they have this similar reaction. They'll go and they'll see the lake and they'll go, wow, that's really amazing. Or they'll see the sunset over Lake Michigan and they'll say, that's unbelievable. But if you're from here, you go, oh yeah, there's a lake, whatever, it just freezes over in the winter. and you, you know what I mean? You, the familiarity you have with it causes you to become unfamiliar with it. So we're going to look at a very familiar story uh, in an unfamiliar kind of a way and hopefully get at what Jesus is trying to teach us about, the scorecard that we use to measure our life. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. It's our practice to read aloud from the scriptures. I'm going to uh, pick up this story in Luke chapter 15, halfway through the story. If you know it, it's, it's very famously known as the story of the prodigal son. There's a son who wants his inheritance from his father. It's a parable that Jesus tells. And uh, he's gone off. He's wasted all the money. And then he decides to come home. And so we're picking up this story halfway through. This is a, a story from Jesus. I'll read it aloud. You can follow on the screen. But the father of that younger son said to his servants, because the son has just now come home, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the, hurt, near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Well, whether or not uh, you are aware of it, maybe it's nothing that you've ever articulated or said out loud, uh, but you have a scorecard that you are using to measure your life. Uh, you're, you're deciding every day whether or not you are a success based on what that scorecard is. And so what we're attempting to do through this series is to say, what if we had success on God's terms? And what are God's terms? Uh, not, not ours. Now, there's, there's a problem right away when we try and understand what success is. It's something we all feel. Ronald Rollheiser, who's an author and a Christian, a Christian leader, and, and um, I, I, he, I think he's right on this. His observation about us as Americans is that all of us that are, you know, maybe 16, 17, 18, older than that, um, all of us uh, struggle with what he, he says, we have chronic depression. 
not clinical. Clinical depression is, you know, they give a chemical imbalance. You've got massive trauma you're trying to sort through. And if, if you're clinically depressed, you know how hard that is to get out of. He's not talking about that. He's talking about uh, chronic depression. He's talking about pain that keeps coming back. You, you know how you just live long enough, something stops working on your body, right? And you got a chronic pain. Like one day it's great. You're like, oh, I got rid of the pain. And the next day you're like, oh, my back. Oh, my hip. Oh, my knee. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's this chronic thing that one day is okay, and then the next day, it's not. And he says that we live in that. Uh, and for us that uh, are, are live in America, we, we have this chronic depression. And so for us, life is often gray and flat and joyless. Uh, he uses the illustration of a kid. Uh, there was a study that was done on the number of times that children laugh in a day. And do you know what they found? They found that the average child laughs uh, well over a hundred times a day. Remember when you were in kindergarten? Unless you had a, just a traumatic childhood. Like you could do anything and everything and everything was like, ha ha, ha ha. It was the whole, your whole life was that, right? And, and then by the time you're a senior in high school, you're like, I can't do anything. I can only do one thing. And it, this grayness kind of descends on you. And, and you know how the, the average number of times an adult laughs in a day compared to a kid? About seven. So is it any wonder then that we have this chronic kind of feeling? Now, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm just trying to say uh, what you already know, that life has a hard edge to it. Now, it, it, when we launch into the Christmas season here in a few weeks, we're going to do a series called School of Joy, and we're going to talk about how to become a person of joy. And so I hope you'll join us for that. But here's my experience. Most of us uh, do not know how to break out of the chronic depression we don't know where it comes from, and, and in all honesty, uh, life feels, for most of us, like it's cursed. I, I have a, a, a routine that I go through that helps me write a message uh, every week, and um, I, down on my basement, I built, uh, I built a, a custom desk. I'm really proud of it. It's not that great, but I, I made it. So uh, I, my wife, wife's dad had this desk from the military. I repainted it, and I built this little L thing, and I sit there, and I, I, that's where I write my messages. And um, I was th- last week, I was sitting there, and I sat down to write, and I, I started to I look at the screen, and I heard this, and look, I look around, I'm like, what is that, what is that noise, me, me, so I got up, and I thought, for sure, it's outside, so it must be some, someone left an electronic on, and so I walked outside, I didn't hear it, I sat back down, I went, me, 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 like, what in the world is that, well, I realized that if I leaned forward about this far, it went away, and if I leaned forward about this far, it went away too, and it was, me, me, so I wrote the entire message last week about like this. Me. <laughs> I couldn't figure out where it was, but that, this, this is the metaphor. We feel like this. I'm always in the place where the mess is happening and the interference is happening. Why is my life, why do I always end up in the spot where that noise hits me? Do you feel me? Are you, are you feeling me? So we have hanging over us this kind of sense of a, of a curse. And, and if you're going to have a scorecard in life uh, that, that works for you, then that scorecard somehow has to address uh, life's darkness. Now, now, the problem that we talked about last week is that, uh, that we measure, and then I've got the scale here, we measure things, remember that, uh, and God weighs things, you know? 
and, and, and the, the measurement game where we're always measuring ourselves against somebody else means that we end up in a comparison game. And life for us becomes a comparison. How am I doing compared to somebody else? And, and very frankly, that kind of an existence is like a never-ending hamster wheel. I, I had hamsters growing up. I had the whole cage. I must have ordered it from Boy's Life magazine that I read every month when it came. And I had the whole cage with the setup, with the little tunnels, you know, that the, the, they could crawl through with the little thing where you would torture them and look at them and they're like, well, let me out. But you thought it was great. You know that you were talking about? But then I had in the hamster cage what you're supposed to have in the hamster cage. I had the hamster wheel. And I love to watch the hamster get on the hamster wheel and run. Now, here's what happened. I had multiple hamsters, and I killed them all. They all died. I think the hamster wheel may have been the problem. But the comparison game is like a hamster wheel. Like, you can't ever get off it, and you run on the hamster wheel until you drop dead, right? And this is kind of the vision of life that pervades you when you're in the measurement game. Like, how am I doing? It's like you're going to run until you drop off dead. That's kind of what happens. Now, uh, Jessica Briggs is our new kids pastor. She's awesome. She's doing a great job and uh, just had a baby, and they've got a a younger son, Michael, but her husband, Rick, um, is a Ph.D. student in philosophy. Super smart guy, way smarter than me. And, and every week I can count on him to ask me some really insightful question. He's like, now when you said this, were you meaning this? And so after the message last week, he said, yeah, you, I know you said the thing about, you know, we measure and, and God weighs and all of that. He said, but really what you're saying is that's still a form of measuring. It's just a different kind of measurement. I'm like, yeah, that's really insightful. Yeah, you're right. And so I, I just I want to I put a tweak on what I, what I said last week. And if you have the sermon notes with you that you got, hopefully when you came in, this is the first blank you can fill in. And, and it goes like this. Um, we are concerned with breadth while God is concerned with depth. We're concerned with like looking and surveying all that we have. Ah, look all that I have. That's what we're concerned with. And while God is concerned with depth. So let me translate that for you. God is concerned with whether or not you are a deep person. So here's us. We're, we're, we're concerned with looking good. Do I look good? How do I look? Did you do it? Can I take a selfie? And can I, oh, that one didn't look good. Can you take another one? Can you take 12 more, right? I find that we're concerned with looking good. God is concerned with whether or not we are actually good. Uh, we're concerned with, uh, do, do I have more than other people? Do I have more than I had last year? Do I have do I have more? God is concerned with whether or not we ever get to the place in our heart where we say, you know what, I have enough, and in fact, I have enough that I can be a blessing to somebody else out of the overflow of what I have. Um, we're, we're concerned with our personality. God is concerned with our character. We're concerned with how we look on the outside. God is concerned with the person that we are on the inside. A few weeks ago, we told the story of David and Absalom, and if you know the story of how David became the king, the prophet Samuel, this is in the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel went and found uh, David's father, Jesse, and knew that he was supposed to go to that family and that the king would come from that family, and uh, David was the youngest, and so uh, the first son came, 
And when Samuel saw him walking up, he thought, for sure, this is the king, because we're always looking at the outside of things. And he looked confident. He was handsome. uh, He was tall. He was strong. He's like, well, that's what you want in a king. You want someone that portrays and has all of those qualities. Surely, this is the person who is the king. And a very instructive thing that tells us what God is looking for in 1 Samuel 16, 7, uh, this, is what Samuel, this is what Samuel understood, that the Lord does not, because the Lord's like, no, 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 that's not the guy. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at, what's the word? The heart. The heart. In other words, God is looking for different things than us. Now that's fantastic news. That's fantastic. God's not looking for the, you don't have to play the rat race. You don't have to get on the hamster wheel because God's not looking for that. And so it's incredibly helpful because that tells us that everything that everybody is looking for is not it. So that's so helpful. But at the same time, it's so incredibly challenging because then you say, well, well, then what is God measuring? How do I know when I get there? Which is why when you come to this story, this very familiar story in Luke chapter 15 that Jesus tells that we know as the story of the prodigal son, uh, that Jesus is trying to teach us something about who he's asking us to become. Now, you, you need to understand the context. Jesus is telling the story to the religious people. And he's saying to the religious people who are, who are the, the kind of people who say, like, I've been around this my whole life. You know, I've, I've been going to church my whole life. And I know the Bible. And I've listened to all kinds of sermons. And I know what you're getting ready to say next. And I know. Jesus is talking to those people who think they understand the end of the journey. And so he tells this story about the journey that you and I need to take because there's the younger son, and some of us are the younger son, right? We leave in our, our chronic depression. We don't know how to deal with it, so we leave, and we think if I go have a lot of fun somewhere, that'll take care of it. But what we find out is it lasts for a little while, and then it doesn't work. Or we're like the older son, and we stay home, and we do all the right things, and we think that'll take, I'll, I'll keep all the rules, and I'll do everything that I'm supposed to do, and we think that'll take care of the chronic depression, but it doesn't. But you know, there's one character in the story who doesn't struggle with chronic depression. You know who the, it's who the entire story is about? It's the whole purpose of the story that Jesus tells. Do you know who the character is? It's the father. Because the father is waiting for the younger son to come home with arms that are open, with blessing and embrace. And he goes to the older son who's bitter and says, but you could always have had this. You just had to ask, and you never asked. And Jesus is saying, this is the journey that I want you to go. I want you to become the kind of person whose arms are open with blessing and embrace. That's the way you get out of your chronic depression. If you want to fill in the next blank, it goes like this. Who God intends you to be is the pathway out of who you currently are. You gotta figure out who is God, who is God intending me to be because you're stuck right now and you don't know how to get out of it. Well, who God intends you to be is the pathway out of who you currently are. And 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 this this whole thing of feeling cursed, like we're I, I and when I say that, I'm not when I say a curse, I'm not meaning a four-letter word, you know, like hashtag dollar sign exclamation. I'm not I'm not meaning a four-letter word. I'm meaning the times in your life when you've heard someone say, I hate you. I, uh, I, I mean the times in your life when you've heard someone say, shut up. I mean the times in your life when someone said, what an idiot. I mean the times in your life when you've heard someone say, who do you think you are? And if we could all rewind the videotape of our life 
we would all know moments when somebody said that kind of thing to us. And so now we live with this curse hanging. Oh, we think that's the truth. Like, that's the truth about me is what that person said. And so we live with this curse hanging over us, and we've accepted a world where cursing is normal, and we've accepted a world where blessing is seen as weak, and it's why we hurt in a way that we can't really say. It's like, but I'm cursed. But the opposite of that, the opposite of a curse is blessing. It's it's a powerful word in the scriptures. If you were to go to the Old Testament, um, the the Hebrew word for blessing is barach. Turn to your neighbor and say barach. Barach is the word to bless. And it means to impart abundant and effective life upon something. It means to, to speak life to somebody. So if you were to go to Genesis chapter 32 and, and read the story of Jacob, and he's wrestling with an angel. And Jacob, if you know his story, was a cheater and a liar. And this angel's wrestling with him, and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me, until you speak life over me, because I've lived a cursed existence, and I want it to be different in the future. Or you could go to Numbers chapter 6, where Moses tells his, tells his brother Aaron, that this is the way that you're to bless the people, and it's this famous blessing in Numbers chapter 6. I give it uh, to my son when he gets out of the car, when he heads into the, the cauldron that is middle school every day. I say, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you, give you his peace. Speak life over my son. This is that the Lord wants to bless you and speak life over you. In Genesis chapter 2, um, it says that God blessed the seventh day, spoke life over his creation, spoke life over you. If you were to go to the New Testament and you were to look up the word bless, it's the, the Greek word makarios, uh, and, and it means a similar kind of thing, but it's, it's the ability to live beyond a place of worry. It, it, the, the idea is that, uh, that it conveys, where it comes from, is that when you have enough money, you can live beyond basic worries. Do you know what I mean? It's not that you, that solves all your problems, but like you're not worrying, can I pay, if my car breaks down, can I pay for it? If, I, if my air conditioner goes out, can I pay for it? You know, you're, you're kind of above that. You have other problems when you've got money, but you, you kind of live above that. And, and the idea is that you can live with God's blessing in your life where you live above the circumstances, and so you live not defined by the circumstances, but you live above them. You, you can, and, and when you bless somebody, what you do is you lift someone to a place beyond worries. One translation of the word is happy. So when you bless someone, you're lifting them beyond their worries to God. You're, you're speaking life to them. And so Jesus, very famously in Matthew chapter 5, we call them the Beatitudes. But he has this whole list. Of, he says, it, tells, it talks about the people who are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are, Matthew chapter 5. You can be lifted beyond your circumstances. The blessing from God can transcend your circumstances and lift you above what you're facing. Or Acts chapter 20, 35, we looked at it a little bit last week, about Jesus saying that it's more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, there's more happiness in giving than in receiving. Receiving is great, But if you live a life of just receiving, there's diminishing returns. But if you live a life of giving, there's limitless returns. Anybody who who gives on a routine basis in a multitude of ways to other people, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It just never gets old. It just gets better. So here's, here's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you on your scorecard not, 
are you blessed? I'm not asking that question. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are blessed. You have every blessing uh, in, in Christ, Paul says to the Christians in Colossians. You have every spiritual blessing. You have everything that you need. God sees your life. God speaks life over you. God gives himself for you. You have every spiritual blessing. Um, I'm not asking you, are you blessed? In fact, there's a danger that you and I face living in our country. We live in a fantastic country. I love our country as much as anyone but the problem in our country, one of the things that, that makes us chronically depressed is that we can live a life of total and complete comfort and live a life of insignificance at the same time and feel like we're a success because we're comfortable. Do you understand the end game of our, of our culture is, are you comfortable? Do you have more than other people? <laughs> and when you have a whole bunch of stuff amassed and piled up, then somehow you are a success. You're not significant, but you got stuff. And it's one of the dangers of living in our country. I'm not asking you, are you blessed? You are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are blessed. I'm asking you a different question because this has got to go on your scorecard. It's do you bless? Because here's the, here's the next blank you can fill out on your sermon notes. Blessing people is the path out of a cursed existence. Blessing people is a path out of a cursed existence. I, I, uh, I was sitting down this week to finish the message on Thursday, and I sat, I sat down again in the same spot, and I put my head right there, beep, beep, I lean back, beep, beep, and I looked down, and about 10 days ago, I realized that my kids had plugged in the printer that we don't use all that much, and it was down there, and it had this thing on the screen that had been cycling, and sure enough, I stuck my head all the way down there, and I looked, and it was the printer the whole time, and so I reached down, and I pulled the plug, and guess what? I sat up, it went away. Like if you want to pull the plug on your cursed existence, what you need to do that Jesus teaches us from the story of the prodigal, the father who loves, is become a person who blesses. That's the path out of your cursed existence. Now, Ronald Rollheiser says that if you're going to bless people, there's always three components that go into it. Um, the first component, if you're going to bless someone, and this is the word from Scripture, if you want to put that in your blank, to bless. And, and what I want you to do is right out to the right of it is put an equal sign and put the word for. Because blessing someone means you're for them. That's, that's, that's what it means. The, the first thing is that you would see uh, the person in front of you. You would see them. I mean, really see them. Really know that they're a human being and that they exist. And I, I'm not saying... You know, hey, oh, I noticed that there's another human there. No, it's like seeing that's a real human being with needs and hopes and dreams. And uh, there, there are two ways to enter a room, you know. Uh, the first way you can enter the room is, I'm here. And when you enter the room that way, what you're saying is, all the rest of you in the room, you're bit characters in my story. The other way that you can enter the room is you can walk in and you can say, not I'm here, but, oh, I see, there you are. And then you recognize that you, you're seeing other people, and they have a story too. I, I don't always do this. I don't do a great job. I try to do this uh, when I go to the store and I'm checking out, and someone is, is checking out their items, you know, if at Meyer or wherever it might be. Um, sometimes I'm too preoccupied, honestly. I got my kids. I'm trying to deal with them, or I just got my brain on something else. But I, I try really hard, and I, it's pretty regular, that I'll just pause. I'll see the person, and I look at them, and I go, hey, how was your day today? always get the exact same reaction. Their shoulders kind of go, oh. 
they say, I'm doing okay. And you know what they always say? Always. doesn't matter the store. You know what they always say next? Thanks for asking. Do you know why they say that? Because the majority of people who come through the line, that person checking them out is just another machine. No, no it was, uh, it's $3.99, not $4.99. So anyway, I was like, I'm checking <laughs> They don't see the person in front of them. But when you see someone, you are, just by seeing them, you're blessing them. It's why when you go to a concert of someone that you love, and if you're lucky enough to get a front row seat or a VIP pass, and you go back in the back, and you see Garth Brooks walking down, you're like, Garth, Garth, it's me. And Garth sees you, and he turns and looks at you, like for the rest of your life. You're like, Garth Brooks saw me. He, he saw me. I took a selfie. You see? Oh, God. The act of just seeing you blesses you. So here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to, I want you to go home, and I want you to see the people in your house. I don't mean see that a human walked past your eyes. I mean pause and in your own mind say, I see you. 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 I want you to go to work and I want you to see. See, if someone works for you, go to work and say, I want you to know I see what you do here and I appreciate it. It will be the, they'll go home feeling 10 feet tall. See the person in front of you. It's the first part of blessing someone. The next one um, is this, is that you would uh, speak life to them. You would speak life to them. And the question you'd ask out of that is, do I use my words to give life? For those of you who are like, you didn't say the other blank about the other thing. Do I look at people is the blank right there. Speak life to them. Do I use my words to give life? Do I say life-giving things to people? I appreciate you. You're doing great. Thank you. You're doing an awesome job. I'm so proud of you. You speak life to them. When you say something, it speaks life to somebody. You speak life to them. And then the third thing is this, is that you would give some of your life to them. And the question you can ask yourself is, uh, on your scorecard, is do I do the generous thing? When someone needs my help, do I give them my time? Do I rearrange my calendar? Or do I go, oh, I got so much going on, I really can't help you. Sorry. Do I share my resources with them? Do I let them borrow my tools and snowblower? And do I do the generous thing? Because I'm, I'm, I'm giving life to them. I, I really, um, as I was thinking about this this week, I, I realized, you know, I, I think we need to pause on this one and talk about this a little bit because um, when you're giving life to them, you, you're sharing things with people. And I, I'm not entirely certain that we're great at that. This might be the one that we struggle with the most uh, because when you give to someone, you, you give to someone. You, like you'll give anything to them. You'll give them resources. You'll give them money. You'll give them and I'm not sure how great we are because here's what I've observed. I've observed that uh, when July the 4th comes around, uh, it's absolutely nuts here. I don't, I've lived in multiple places around the country. I just don't think you understand. It's nuts here on July the 4th. <laughs> and, and, and people will, in, in the region, we, we will go and we will spend, you know, a day's wages or a week's wages and literally blow it up. Boom, that was awesome. 
we will blow it up. We, at Halloween, we will decorate our house. I mean, it's like people go nuts for Halloween. Decorate their house, spill us money. Like it's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, just Halloween. Candy, costumes. Uh, we, we just, well, it's like we're having a great time. Uh, we will take multiple vacations. I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying that you should feel terrible for... I'm simply saying that's awesome that you're blessed in that way, but do you in turn bless other people? Or is it just about you? I'm not entirely sure we're great at it. Uh, my family, uh, we give to uh, several things that, that mean a lot to us. One of the pl- things we give to is we give to uh, World Vision. World Vision is uh, an organization. It's one of our partners at a church, and I've loved them since I was in college, so for a couple of decades now. And um, they just do so, such wonderful things in the name of Jesus around the world. Clean water. When there's a disaster, they show up. And they're, just, they're such a well-run organ. I love what they do. And so we give them not a, a ton of money, but we give them um, a decent amount of money every year. We believe in them. But there's another organization we give to uh, that we believe in even more because uh, it's changed our lives. And so we give, we give a, a really significant amount. There are things we do not do because instead we give money. So there's things we just don't go have fun do because we give to this instead. We think it's more important. And, and the organization is the church. We give, we give a tenth of our income to the church. And the reason we do that is because we know that if someone has their life changed by the love of God, it changes the software of their heart. It changes everything about them. They change their identity. They change how they see themselves. They change how they see other people. And then they turn around. They face outward to the world. And they start speaking life to the world around them, and they become a generous person who blesses other people. I don't know of another organization that has that as its mission, the transformation of the human heart and the human being. And, and I don't know, it, the church is Jesus' redemptive arm on planet Earth, and so we just have no problem saying we're just going to invest. And, and what, I, what I have discovered, though, is that there's a handful of people in our congregation, you know who you are, who do the same thing, and they keep the whole thing afloat. And, and we've had to, at times, say to people who are needing help, hey, listen, we just, I'm sorry, we don't have it to give because we run everything on a shoestring here. And I, I thought about this. It's like when I, I talk about this, people are going to think the whole, all the things they think about churches and money. But if I, I realize, you know what, I don't care. <laughs> think whatever you want. If you have eyes in your head, you know we're the kind of church that does everything we can to bless people and wants to bless people more. Because when, when you bless people, you're for them, Right? You see them. We want to see thousands of people in the region to know that someone sees them and notices they're struggling, cares. And then we want to speak light. That's why you come to this, because you're like, I need somebody to say words of life to me. And we want hundreds and thousands of people in the region to have that happen. They said life spoken to them. And then we want to give to them. But we all have to pull that. <laughs> and right now it's a handful of people who do that. And here's, listen, I'm calling us to live a, a lifestyle of blessing people. I have very few examples uh, of people whose lives, whose lives have been ruined by giving. <laughs> I know plenty of people whose lives have been ruined by all they ever do is receive. And life is just fundamentally about them. 
Um, the other day, I'll end with this. This uh, other day, we were at a birthday party um, for a friend, and uh, I was at a restaurant, and it was a surprise, and so we all got there early, and um, I sat down at the table, and to my right was my son, Corbin. Corbin's 10, and to my left was Johnny. Johnny was singing some of the songs up here, the beard, and you know Johnny. And uh, Corbin was talking. He was talking about something. I, I don't remember exactly what he was talking about. Somewhere in there, he was, he was talking about like a dollar bill, and he needed a dollar bill for something. And he's like, Dad, do you have a dollar? And I never carry cash. I don't have a dollar. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Johnny reach into his wallet and take a dollar bill and hand it over to my 10-year-old son. And I watched his countenance change. Why? Someone saw him. Johnny said something really kind when he did it. He spoke life to him and gave something of himself to him. And so here's what I'm asking you to do this week. Um, I'm asking you this week to realize that there are other people in the world because <laughs> outside me is you. Inside me, it's just me. But if I want love, I have to recognize that outside me is you. And so this week, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to, I'd like you to say, okay, I, I want to bless people. So I want you in the morning, I want you to pray in the morning and say, God, is there anyone today in my day that you would like me to, s- to see, to really see? Like, I see you. And you, you think through your day, and you think of a person, and okay, th- whoever that person is, just assume that God brought that person to mind. I want you to go to work or school or wherever it is, and I want you to, I want you to look that person in the eyes and go, how are you doing? And, and it's going to catch them because you're going to be in a different place because you're going to see them, you're gonna, and they're going to know, they're going to feel that you see them. And you don't have to have, know what to say. You just have to see them. And then I want you to say, okay, God, is there anyone I need to speak some life to this week? Someone I need to say a positive word. You think through your day. Think who that person is. Decide. You know, you can think if you're one of those people who you have to plan everything, uh, then you plan out the exact words you're going to say. If you're one of those people who's off the cuff, then off the cuff say. But you just say, you're going to say some life to somebody this week. And then I want you to say, okay, God, is there someone that I need to give to, give some of myself, some of my time, some of my resources? And I promise you if you do that through the day, You're going to bless people. And you know what you're going to find? That as you bless people, that's the path out of your cursed existence. And then when you lay down at night, I want you to go do an inventory. I want you to go back. I want you to go through your day and say, God, who did I I talk to today? Did I miss anybody? And, And thank you for that opportunity. God, was there anyone I need to speak to today? You know, I didn't use my words the way I could have, and and help me do that better today. Or thank you for that opportunity to have that conversation today. Thank you that I got a chance to give to that person today in some way. And and as you do that very simple thing, and you put that on your scorecard, and you say, I'm going to now count that as one of the ways I measure whether or not I'm a success in life, that I bless other people. Like Jesus promised in the story of the prodigal son and his older brother and the father who loved and whose arms were open in blessing and embrace, you are going to become a different person whose arms begin to open in blessing and embrace of the world around you. Well, I'd like to pray for you, if, if I could. And would you, would you stand with me? And I'm, I'm going to pray for you. then I'm going to bless you. So, uh, God, this is hard. This is hard when we look at ourselves and we see uh, that often we only think about ourselves. But thank you that we're not doing this in a vacuum. We're not doing this 
to earn your love, that you saw us in our mess. You saw us when we were broken. You saw us when we were afraid. You see us right now, the person who's so broken, you see them right now. You see them. You you really see them, and you have compassion. Um, you, You speak life to us. You say that we can be your beloved son, your beloved daughter. And then, God, you... You emptied heaven itself. You sent your only son, your only begotten son, that whoever believed in you would not perish but have everlasting life. You gave so that we could have life. And so we accept from you the blessing that you want to pour into our heart, mind, and soul, and life. And God, don't let it stop there. Let us, let us continue the journey all the way to where we become one of the people who then extends our hands in blessing and embrace to the world. So God, make us a blessing church. Make us a church that sees the needs of people, that speaks life over people, that gives life to people, is willing to give itself away to make a difference in the lives of people. So we're going to need all of your help, and we're going to need all of your power, and we're going to need all your grace to do just that. I pray this in your name. All God's people who wanted it said, amen. Well, we always leave you with a blessing. So receive this blessing. You're sent now to love God, to love people, to serve the world in Jesus' name. Hug somebody. Tell them you love them. Bless them. See you next week.